Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Father God, we bless your name, Lord, and we thank you uh, for this uh, wonderful opportunity, Lord, in this country that we live, that we could get together and speak about your things, to learn about you, Lord, and that we may uh, honor you, Father God, in those things that we learn and, and walk in obedience, Father God, and as you uh, show us the path, Lord, that we should walk, that we not be stubborn mules, Father God, that we not uh, put to the side your instruction, Father God, but that we would uh, embrace your instruction, Father God, and, and love it and walk in that path because we know in that path, though it not be easy, there is security, Father God, there is salvation, there is life, Father God, for us, for our families, for our children, for our neighbors, for our communities. Father God, that we would continue to be a light, Father God, and walk close to you, Lord, and to your word. Father God, put a love for your word in our hearts, Father God, that we would uh, understand it, that as the Spirit would instruct us, and that we would walk in obedience to your word, and that our hearts would be tender to receive even the harshest words that you have to tell us, Father God, because we know that it is for our own good, and that it is for life, Father God. And we, we thank you, Lord, uh, for giving us your word. And we bless your name this morning, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so there I was, a young adolescent, having chosen to put my own agenda aside and to follow God at all costs. So, and I grew up in Miami, so you could imagine it wasn't easy. It was difficult. It was a real challenge because... Everybody was doing their own thing and experimenting here, experimenting there, and doing this and that. But I was trying to hold true to what I saw in the Word of God. If it wasn't the Word of God, I wasn't even going to go there. Amen? And so I learned later, I went to a, a conference. I would sign up for every single Christian conference that there was. I would sign up for it because I wanted to know more. I wanted to understand God. I wanted to understand this new way that my family had found. And so... I would sign up for every conference, and there was this one conference. It was a week-long conference, and the guy kept a hook in my mouth because he said, at the end of the conference, I'm going to teach you how you can prosper in anything and everything you do. How many here want to prosper? Amen? And that's the same response he got from the conference. And I was young, adolescent. I said, yeah, I want to prosper. So the whole conference, I was listening, paying attention, and I'm waiting for this word at the end of the conference. He's going to teach us a trick to prosperity. You know, and I was, and I wanted that, and and it, this is what he did. He took us to Psalm, chapter one, verses one through three. How many of you have a word of God with you, whether it's digital or on paper? How many of you have it? We're gonna take a ride through the Word of God today, Amen. Because that's what I like to do. I like to show you in the Word of God, like Pastor Mediero says. Uh, so you know, it's not my word, but it's God's word. So if you're gonna get angry, don't get angry at me. Get angry at the Word of God, or repent and accommodate your life to the word of God because I'll tell you after 20 years, 30 years serving God, I cannot complain. God has been good to me. Amen? Psalm 1-1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil, Dr. Laura, nor does he stand in the path of all these perpetrators that are hanging around us telling us, what are you doing? You crazy? Why are you going to church on a Sunday? Let's go party. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord or in the word of God. And in his law or in his word, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So what is the road to prosperity? 
falling in love with God's word, meditating on it day and night. Many times as an adolescent, you could imagine, I found myself meditating on a lot of things that were not the word of God. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm a Christian now. No, 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 get out of there, you know, and, and just delving into the word of God. I had Christian music going in my car 24-7 because I didn't want there to be a gap or an instant in my life where my eyes got distracted or my thoughts got distracted, but I wanted to learn the word of God because I wanted to prosper. And after 30 years, I can say by the grace of God, I feel like I've been prosperous. I have a beautiful wife, four beautiful kids that are knocking it out of the park in academics and sports. They're serving God. And I cannot complain. And I cannot attribute that to my education. I cannot attribute that to my degrees. I cannot attribute that to my wife's education degrees. I cannot attribute that to uh, I'm smarter than anybody because I'm not. When you see somebody working really hard, it's because they're not smart, right? When you see somebody laying back and taking it easy, they're smart, you know? So I wasn't the smartest guy in the world, but I knew a secret. I was going to prosper if I hid the word of God in my heart. Amen? So there you go. You can write that down. That's a big deal. So we're going to delve into the word of God, and we're going to learn about something today that may be familiar with many of you, maybe foreign to many of you. But the pastor asked me to share about this because he said, Jules, this is such an important step in a Christian's life. I want everybody to be aware that they need to participate in this so they can get everything God has for them. And I said, Pastor, I mean, that's being your heart day one. The pastor never holds back. Whether you like it or don't like it, whether it hurts or it feels good, the pastor will not hold back because he wants everybody in here to achieve everything God has for them. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to talk about water baptism. And uh, in the Spanish service, Pastor Rivera is going to talk about water baptism. And there is one coming up soon. And so I remember early in my Christian walk, one of the reasons I was in that room locked up, giving, getting into the Word of God, was because this was coming up, right? And I didn't understand this water baptism. That doesn't make sense. I was baptized already. Why do I got to go through that again? Wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me what you told me the first time was wrong, but now this is right? I go, no. I'll get back to you, right? And so I locked myself in that room. I said, God, is water baptism is something that is from you. If it's something that you have for me that I have to cross through, I go, you better believe I'm willing to do it. But right now, I'm not convinced that this is something that you have for my life. I don't know if this is another, quote, unquote, religious ritual that I'm going to do today and in six years and in 10 years and do it over and over again. Or if this is something that is, matter of fact, something that you have commanded us to do. And so God speak to me. And so I had my concordance there. And if you guys are familiar with concordance, the concordance, you look up a word, for example, like baptized or baptism. And it gives you all the verses in the Bible that contains that word. Now, all of those verses may be related to what you're studying, or they may not be related. But at least it gives you a well-rounded sense of where that word is used in scriptures. Amen? So by the time I got out of there, a couple hours later, it was a Saturday. Uh, I was used to cramming in college. So uh, three, four, five hours, you know, was not a big deal. And so I locked myself in that room, went through the concordance, and I read everything about baptism. And I came out of there absolutely convinced and so the first thing I want to point out is in Matthew 28, 19. Let's go in the Bible there. And you guys say amen when you got it. Amen? Go in your Bible because I want you to know that it's there. Matthew 28, verses uh, 19 and 20. Jesus saying, how many see that these are red letters? 
You see that? Those red letters. Red letters mean Jesus is speaking. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven. And he's giving his uh, apostles this commandment. It's not a recommendation. It's not an observation. It's not, guys, when you're in a good mood and you feel up to it, you know, if you feel like it, you know, when you get to it, go ahead and do this. He says, it's a commandment. It's pretty emphatic. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So we absolutely know that Jesus was really uh, one of the first ones that gave this commandment, this task to the apostles as he was sending them out to the world. And so uh, it's absolutely a commandment uh, that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended. Amen? Does everybody see that? Yes. All right. Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Christina, are you keeping up with me back there? She's on the, on the handle back there. All right. Say amen when you got it. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. It says, therefore, I'm going to read it from the screen. Sorry, we're just reading the same thing. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. So leaving uh, behind, he's talking to an older, more mature group of apostles that have already been in the ministry and the work for a while. And he's telling them, look, these, these basic things that kind of everybody gets, these are not the complicated things. These are the fundamentals. You know, as we kind of move on from those and not get stuck in those, let's move forward towards perfection. Amen? So he says, those are the beginnings. Those are, that's where, where we start when we're coming to the Lord. And that's where I was in my grandmother's room. I was starting. But we don't get stuck there. We move on. And so he says, Leaving the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. So uh, here in this church and, and in many churches, we've always divided the, the first discipleship class or the fundamentals class into these basic principles because we want to make sure that these foundations are laid in your life and they're firm because uh, as anybody that knows construction uh, Manny and Pedro are here uh, you know that if you have a sorry weak foundation what happens yeah everything you build will come down eventually it'll look pretty it'll look beautiful but it's going to come down because we know the foundation is not solid so one of the basic principles for a Christian to understand and accept and walk through is this principle of baptism. This is one of the steps towards perfection. And who's perfection? Jesus Christ is perfection, right? So as we become more and more and more like him, we embrace these principles and one of them is baptism. You cannot get from point A to point Z without going through this step. Amen? And so it is It is basic. It's, it's simple. And I think uh, I know there's a lot of Christian denominations and, and I know that there's controversy in different uh, doctrines and theology, but I don't know of any Christian denomination that does not believe that baptism is a necessary step for Christians. Amen? It is a fundamental, basic step for Christians. And so if you're a Christian, uh, baptism is something you need to embrace. And so 
The word baptism, so you guys know the translations of the Bible, the Bibles were not written in English or in Spanish. Amen? Amen. They're written in Aramaic, uh, the New Testament, and it was uh, translated through the Greek and then uh, to our language so we could understand it. And so the original Greek word where we get the word baptism from or baptize is bautizo. And the reason I say with a Spanish pronunciation is that's how you say Greek. It's funny enough with uh, a Spanish pronunciation. So for Spanish-speaking people, it's not difficult to learn Greek. And so bautizo means to, to take something and submerge it, right? It, it, it's, 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 it was used many times interchangeably in the Bible when the Bible's talking about a vessel that sunk. It says, it uses the word bautizo because it went under. And, and uh, there was a, a very well-known Jewish uh, poet who was a physician. Uh, he was around about and wrote around 200 uh, BC. And uh, he had a, a poem and he was talking in this poem about how to, how to make a pickle, right? And so this, this is interesting because he uses both words uh, in, in his poem. And one of the words that he uses is bautizo. Uh, and, and he talks about first you get the pickle and you boil it and then you take it out and then you put it in the vinegar. And that's where he uses the word bautizo is when he's talking about putting it in the vinegar. Why? Because that pickle has to stay in that vinegar submerged for quite some time, right? And it takes on the characteristics of that vinegar, right? That vinegar and that pickle become one and then you get a pickle. And so the word that he used there was bautizo. This was 200 BC. So it's pretty clear and under understood that when we talk about baptizing as we go forward in the scriptures, that we're talking about putting something under and kind of leaving it there and then bringing it out. And we're going to see the significance of that going forward. So we know that when we talk about baptism here in scriptures, uh, Hebrews 6.1 and going forward, uh, that we're talking about submerging something, putting it beneath a surface of, of liquid. They also used it. Uh, that word bautizo when they were talking about getting uh, a garment and putting it in a dye. And so they would bautizo that garment in the dye so that garment would take on the color of that dye that they bautizo the garment. Amen? So we're talking about submerging something, putting some under. Amen? And so in Mark 1, 9 uh, through 11... We know that Jesus gave us many, many examples, and he taught us many, many things. And Jesus was actually, uh, you know, gave us the example or the, the demonstration that this is a necessary thing, so much so that he committed to do it himself. And, and it's interesting here, Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 9, that John the Baptist was baptizing, baptizing. He was talking about this Messiah that was coming, that he himself was not even worthy to tie his shoelaces, right? So Jesus comes and says, okay, listen, I'm here. You need to bautizo me, right? And John says, God forbid, who am I? And Jesus said, this is necessary to fulfill all the commandment. And then uh, in verse 9, it says, And it came to pass those days that Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, coming up from the water, verses 10, verse 10, it says, Yeah, immediately coming up from the water, he, the heavens opened up, and the Spirit of God came down like a dove and descended upon him. So Jesus was bautizo. Right? He was submerged. And so we know that Jesus himself demonstrated uh, th this thing that, you know, uh, he was teaching uh, his apostles about, about Tiso. 
And so he was submerged. He did it in obedience to fulfill, you know, uh, the law or to, to, to walk through the places he was asking us to walk through. And this was also reinforced by uh, one of his apostles, Peter. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. And when you have it, you guys say, Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's, go, let's start in verse 37. So Peter now, he's on fire for God. He, you know, he received the Holy Spirit, and he's out there preaching up a storm. You guys remember who Peter was, right? Right? Peter was like the, 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 the go-getter, right? He's the one that when Jesus was walking the water, Peter jumped out of the boat and started to walk on the water, right? That was Peter. Peter was the one that when, when they were going to come and get the Lord, he said, God forbid, we'll fight because you're to be king. And, 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 and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter had his highs, highs. He had his lows, lows. Peter was the one that when they came to get Jesus, he pulled out his sword and he cut the soldier's ear, right? So Peter was one of these guys, a very hands-on kind of guy. So Jesus had to guide him and temper him. And, and Peter was also the one that denied Jesus three times, right? And, and he was discouraged. And Jesus said, look, if you love me, come back and, and, and shepherd my sheep. And so Peter now is back and he's shepherding sheep. Uh, Peter, and he says in verse 37, um, it says, Now when uh, they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter's preaching, cut to the heart. And uh, said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So in light of this word that Peter was putting out there and teaching and preaching, that the men, they're like, what do we do? And it's kind of like me in my grandmother's room, like, God, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go forward. But whatever you have, I'm willing to do it. So these guys kind of had a similar attitude. God, I don't know what you have, but what can I do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Peter, affirming what Jesus had taught, he was following in Jesus' steps. He was telling them, first, you must repent. And after you repent, you must be baptized. So Peter, affirming what Jesus said, and the steps to obedience, Peter was teaching the new believers. And, and I, love, I love these guys' attitudes because I think a lot of times, you know, uh, me and Claudia, we, we, uh, we went to FIU. And FIU, you know, we got involved with a with Christian group, and we would teach people about Christ. And we would talk to them about the Lord. And, and, and we would always get this, yeah, I believe in God. I repent every day. I go to church every Sunday. And me and Clyde were just so frustrated because um, we don't live in, in, in a society where people, quote, unquote, don't believe in God. Because I think the majority of Americans believe in God, right? But in FIU, these guys are tearing it up. They're living life their own way. They're making all kinds of mistakes. Uh, they're, they're doing all kinds of, of, of things that, that don't honor God, but it, when we would preach to them, they say, we believe in God. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I repent every day. And me and Clyde didn't know how, exactly how to approach this, right? Because what do you say? You know? So we kind of changed a little bit, and we said, well, if you don't repent, you know, from, from, from all that stuff you're doing and give your heart to God, you're going to hell. And then, boom, a shock, because nobody had ever talked to him like that. And, and so this complacent, laid-back attitude that we see amongst, quote-unquote, Christians, yeah, I believe in God, but yet 
they're not willing to honor God in the things that God commanded us to do. So it's a real tricky thing, right? Because uh, uh, these guys we see here that when they heard the word of God, it says, you know, what shall we do? So the next question was what to do? And Peter said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so let, let's continue forward. Let's see some more of this uh, belief in action in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 9 through 13. So Acts talks about, was a book that was written that was describing the Acts of the Apostles. So basically, it's a description of the coming of the new church. So before this, you know, Jesus was teaching, 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 preparing, preparing, preparing. Then Jesus died, resurrected, ascended to heaven. He left the apostles and the disciples behind. And he said, wait in the upper room until the Spirit comes. When the Spirit came, they received the Spirit. They launched out into the world to take the word of God. And so the book of Acts is beautiful because you see the birth of the new church. And you see the heart of the Christians. And you see their disposition to please God in everything and anything. And they weren't putting God in a box. Why? Because they didn't know God in a box, you know. A lot of the ones that were getting saved weren't even Jewish, so they didn't, they didn't know anything other than what do we have to do was a question. So here is a sorcerer. In verse 9 it says, But then there was a certain man called Simon, and previously practiced sorcery in the city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is a great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with sorcer sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So again, these were people that were no nonsense. I mean, these people, Philip came with the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. He preached the word. The hearts were convicted, they repented, and they immediately began to walk in obedience to the word of God. And it says both men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself also believed the sorcerer. When he was, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed to see the signs and miracles which were done by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. So even the sorcerer that you could argue was a trickster, was a man that delved in magic and all this kind of stuff, deceiving the people and probably taking money from the people. He repented, and he had enough sense to be baptized and then continue alongside Philip to be uh, discipled by Philip. Amen? And so in Acts 8.27, we see another man. This man was an Ethiopian, and it says in verse 27, So this man, the Ethiopian, he arose and went, and behold, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. So this was a powerful man. And he came to Jerusalem to worship. And it says that this man was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the book of Isaiah, so the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip was able to engage him at that moment as he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he was able to tell this eunuch, he says, hey, that person that you're reading about in the book of Isaiah, that is that person, Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was here with us. And look at the response of this uh, Ethiopian. It says, verse 35, it says, And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? 
Then Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized, right? So here we go again. We see the step of believing with your whole heart or repenting, coming to God. And then the next step of obedience is baptism, being baptized. And, and so we see the apostles continuing to affirm the teachings of Jesus Christ in this. And, and again, what amazes me is this, is these guys had no ambivalence. I mean, it's not like, well, you know, first let me take care of this and I'll come back to you. And can we meet next week? Can we put it off for a month? You know, because um, I, I got some things I got to take care of first and then I'll begin to walk in obedience to God. <clears throat> these guys were no nonsense. These guys wanted everything that God had for them, kind of like what you guys want, right? They wanted everything God had for them, and if they could get it yesterday, they wanted it yesterday. Amen? And so this was the heart of the early believers in the first church that was developing, and there was a big explosion, a big revival back then. And, and, and it, it, this is a constant theme. If you continue to read through the book of Acts, you will continue to see this pattern where men were convicted, where men and women repented, and where men and women were baptized in water. So this is a pattern you see all through the book of Acts. And so you ask yourself, what's the big deal? What, what is so meaningful about jumping in a pool and getting wet or jumping in a lake and getting wet and be submerged? Why, why was that such a big deal for Jesus and the apostles? Why, why is this, I mean, out of all, we could be talking about love. We could be talking about uh, giving. We could be talking about a lot of things. But this theme of being baptized comes up over and over and over again. And I get the impression that you don't have to be a very mature, theological, uh, seminary-trained uh, Christian in order to be baptized. I get the impression that baby, baby Christians that just got saved, that just came to Christ, are being able to participate in this thing called baptism. So what is the big deal about baptism? What is the significance? And so we know that God doesn't do anything by coincidence, and obviously there is a, a significance in baptism. And uh, we could go to Romans uh, chapter 6. Romans is right after Acts, and when you got it, you guys say amen. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Okay, we're going to go through verse 4. If you are a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, you've repented from your sins and, and your desire to follow God and obey God, and you have not read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, that could explain why, you know, we're a little confused. I mean, these are the fundamental books, and these things will kind of align your Christianity, will give you a compass on how to live out your Christian walk, okay? So uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about those chapters a couple times. It says... Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue with our own agenda? Should we continue doing and experimenting, just doing what feels good? Should we continue to do what we kind of heard about, thought about? I mean, I hear a lot of rumors that the best way to do it is this way. Should we continue like delving in our own agenda? By definition, when we're delving into our own agenda and we are not obeying God's agenda, by definition, that's sin. When you don't do what God has called you to do, by definition, that's sin. And it may be because you're doing your own agenda. Your own agenda may be pretty good compared to the person next to you. you know. But compared to God, your own agenda stinks. It smells. It's horrible. And so there, there comes a time in our Christian walk when we have to say, okay, God, whatever you have for me, let's go. I'm going to do it. I'm putting my agenda aside, and I'm going to obey you. And here it says, what are we going to say? Then? Should we continue in sin, doing our own things that grace may abound? He said emphatically, certainly not, verse 2. How should we who died to sin 
live in sin any longer? Or do you not know, verse 3, that many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Okay, here we go. It says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So this is the significance of baptism. The significance of baptism is in baptism and exclusively in baptism are we able to identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? So the Bible in several places, it talks about the new man. It talks about newness. We say the word born again uh, a lot. And so what we're talking about is we're talking about the, the symbolism or of being baptized is we are being buried into the ground down under the earth as jesus christ was and then we come out of the waters in newness it says in this verse which means we come out a new person we come out different we come out with with, with looking more like jesus identifying with his death up to that point you know you have repentance and, and you've turned from your sins and you surrendered but how in the world are you going to participate with that next example, that next step that Jesus gave us? He was baptized. So how do you participate in his resurrection? Well, you're not going to die and be buried and resurrect, right? So the symbolism that God gave us that we would identify with Christ in his resurrection is baptism. And that's why submersion is, is such a big deal. That's, that's why it is, because you're being buried under the waters. And you're being resurrected into newness of life. And in 1 Peter chapter 3... We see this again emphasized. First Peter chapter three. Verses twenty-one and twenty-two. Okay, now I'm taking too long to get there. First Peter chapter three, verse twenty-one says, There's also an antitype or a shadow or something that is like a mirror image to uh, Christ's death and resurrection, which saves us, and this is baptism. And it's not for the purposes of bathing or cleaning yourself. It's not to take the dirt off your flesh. It's not to soap yourself and wash your hair and get all pretty for church or, you know. It, it says that this is, uh, the purpose of this is that we should identify uh, with Christ through his resurrection. And so this is why baptism was such a big deal. Because the people that were getting saved were saying, look, we want more of this. We want to walk more in that. We want a bigger piece of that pie because, you know, we know this is going to transform us. This is going to make us new people and take us further away from our own agenda. And so let's get your agenda, is basically what they're saying, and let's bury it. Let's bury your agenda. And then when you come out of the waters, let's start brand new with the agenda of God. So we get rid of our agenda, we get rid of our ideas, we stop experimenting in life and quote-unquote trying to get it right. It's one of the things that pains me in, in, in the field that I, that I practice is that people continually experiment with everything. They experiment on how to raise their kids, they experiment on how to be a husband, they experiment on how to be a wife, they experiment on how to treat their bosses and how to treat their employees, they experiment on diets, right? Like uh, I have somebody at work that every other week he's on a different diet. They're experimenting with all this. They have no foundation. They have no semblance of, I'm standing on firm ground. God's got my back. I'm holding on to his agenda. And I know God's going to take me to a good place. 
you know, and in our marriage, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't all been rosy, you know, but because we knew that we were embracing God's agenda. I don't know how many times I told Clyde, I said, Clyde, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen, whatever, but God has had our back in the past. He's going to have our back now. And he has our back in the future. So let's just trust that he's taking us to a good place. And that was our confidence. Now, having gone to many crossroads in the past 20 years of our marriage, um, if I didn't have God, maybe I would have done all the crazy stuff people in the world do. Well, let's threaten, you know, I'm going to leave you. Uh, I'm going to take money away from you. I'm going to, you know, go sleep with somebody. I'm going to go, you know, and just threaten. And let's see how she reacts to this and kind of experiment. But we know that when we treat our wives the way Christ treats the church with the love of Christ and we serve, we know what we're going to get. We don't have to experiment. Amen? And, and, and so... We have the instructions, we have the manual right here, and, and so we should continue to walk in it in obedience. And there's, there's really like, as far as when it comes to baptism, there really is uh, no discussion. There's, there's really no alternative. You know, this is not an area in your Christian walk where we are allowed to experiment and do our own thing. It's pretty uh, described, written out here, black and white. It's a step of obedience. And the reason the pastor wanted us to share this today is because there's, a, there, there's quite a few people that have not gone through the baptism, through the um, baptism discipleship class, because they just haven't been able to come on Friday nights. So pastors think that this is such a big deal, so fundamental, that he want to give it to the general congregation so that each and every one of you that has decided, like we said earlier, that you want everything that God has for you, that you want to begin or continue to walk in obedience to God, that you know that this is something that is there for you today. You know, baptism is for, if you have repented, you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have put your agenda aside, it is time for you to pick up God's agenda, get baptized, and continue to walk in obedience. And I can tell you, anybody in here that's been walking with the Lord can tell you, um, you know, there's a lot more ahead. Baptism is just the beginning. And, and, and my sister was commenting to me earlier, and she said, Jules, do you remember when we got baptized? For some reason, that step to get baptized was such a big deal. I mean, I, I think everything came against us not to get baptized that day. I remember we, I went with my dad and with Joaquin. I think us three got baptized together. And, and everything was thrown in our path. I mean, we barely made it to the church where we were going to be baptized. And to boot, the baptismal that we were going to be baptized in hadn't been chlorinated or I don't know. But it was dark green. Hey. That's a good time to say, look, I'm going to put this off for a while because I'm not getting in there, you know. Thankfully, uh, I hadn't studied medicine or anything. I don't know how my dad let me get in there. But uh, it was dark green. And, and like you can see, when, when people would get in, they would come out like that green stuff kind of swash around, you know. So it was something that was floating in the water, and it was uh, something strange to me. But it was such a big deal. There was no way in the world we were going to get out of there that day and not be baptized. It was going to happen. Period. Because like, like these early uh, Christians that got saved, I mean, where? Where is there, where's there enough water that you can submerge me and baptize me because let's get it done? And through the years, I've seen this enthusiasm in many, many Christians. Um, we baptize Christians in the winter. You, you got to admire that because the water's cold, you know? But they're getting in there and, and they're shaking and, and they're like, you know, and, and I'm, I'm standing out there saying, Whew. 
I guess mine wasn't so bad. At least my water was warm. And they get baptized and they come out and you see their Christian walk flourish. Okay? God is equipping you. God is giving you a tool that you can walk with and be successful in your Christian walk. You know, a lot of Christians walk this roller coaster kind of Christianity. It's up and it's down and it's around and it's down and you're vomiting and you're sick, but then you're doing well. And, you know, th this kind of Christianity, I will tell you, and, and, and again, it's not to offend, but it's to challenge that the core of that is your disobedience. Because you're not committed to God's agenda. You're still playing around and messing around with your own agenda. And, and that's, that's why the up and the down and the ambivalence, because you have not committed and embraced God's agenda. The moment you embrace God's agenda, you know, that roller coaster will be smoothed out. And, and so baptism is absolutely a first step. But I can tell you that in 30 years, there's been many, 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 many more steps where you're going to be challenged. And so uh, it's kind of a thing where I call it like you throw the switch in your mind. You just say, hey, I'm going to obey God. I'm done. I'm going to obey God going forward. And if baptism is the next step, let's go. After baptism, what's next? What do I got to do? Where do I got to go? I got to go with the pastor. I got to travel with the pastor. Let's go. You know, I got to come to the discipleship class. Let's go. I got to you know, uh, begin to serve, let's do it, you know, but, but there's no ifs, ands, or buts anymore when you're embracing God's agenda. It's a very high cost that Jesus paid, so there's no more playing around, and, and, and again, you are going to be the beneficiary of all this. Your life, and I can look back uh, the past 20, 30 years of my life, and guys, I wouldn't have it any other way, but that first step is baptism. Once you repent that you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, approach the pastors, uh, Jose Rivera, uh, Pastor Palma, Pastor Joey, uh, approach them, Pastor Kenny, and say, I want that. I want to be baptized tomorrow. When could I do it? And just engage. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 to close this morning. This is going to be the last verse. I love this verse because it goes to the heart of, of these new Christians and their attitude and the way they were taught, a no-nonsense kind of Christianity. You know, all of these acts back then could have cost them their lives and did cost many of them their lives. And so, you know, when this Ethiopian is saying, you know, uh, when can I get baptized? Let's do it. You know, they, they do that recognizing that this public demonstration of their commitment to God and the gospel and Jesus Christ could cost them their life. And yet they were willing to go there and it's going to cost you. But... It's not going to cost you your life, but it's going to cost you a lot. But it's not going to cost you your life. So I don't think it's beyond uh, your capacity to just put your head down, surrender, begin to walk in obedience to God. And I love this. Chapter 12, verse 1 uh, through 2. This chapter is called Living Sacrifices to God. And he says here, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So basically he's saying here, look, guys, in light of what Christ did, in light of the price that he paid, in light of everything that he's taught us, the only reasonable thing that we can do is say, here, Lord, take my life. Whatever you ask, whatever you say, I'm committed to that. So we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And, and we know that Jesus was not able to, you know, uh, 
go down that career path and get that all the accolades and the awards and you know get his GPA up. He wasn't able to get married and have children and enjoy fatherhood, a husband. You know, he, he wasn't able to get the promotions at his job. We know that Jesus gave all that up so that today we can live in peace. And so it makes sense that he says here, in light of that, what can we do? We can offer our bodies back to him so that he now can begin to live through us as we love our wives, as we love our kids, as we interact with our colleagues. As we reach out to our communities, he can begin to live through us as we behave as a living sacrifice to him. And so in light of everything that Christ did, it says that, that we not be conformed to this world, but that we begin to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, putting down your agenda, putting down your ideas, your thoughts, what you think is right, what you think is wrong. Begin to align your life with the word of God that you may prove, verse 2, what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's what Spring of Life Fellowship is about. We are about embracing God's will for our life and putting aside our own agendas and lining up with what God is calling us to do. And honestly, I don't know, but I get the impression that there's not a whole lot of time left, okay? I think this world is coming to a head, and I think that families are falling apart all over the place. I love that a CNN article that says, what is missing in Baltimore? What is missing in Baltimore with all the chaos and everything that's going on? What's missing in Baltimore? Men. Older men to mentor the younger men. So we see the families falling apart. We see the banks falling apart. We see, you know, countries falling apart. There's not a whole lot of time to continue to fool around and put things to the side and delay your obedience to God. I recommend and I suggest that as the Word of God has to told us today, that if there's something in your life that continues to hold you back from doing and achieving everything God has for you, that today, this morning, you lay it down. Put it to the side and say, God, like Jules says, I want everything you have for me. Anything you have for me, God, I just open myself up to that and I want to begin to walk in obedience so I can begin to live out the life that you have planned for me since the time that Jesus Christ died and gave his life. Amen? So let's stand to our feet. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And then this morning, you want to say this morning, God, I've always put up a lot of reasons why I don't exactly follow uh, your word to, to the letter, why I continue to put you off and, and, and pursue my own agenda. But this morning, I want to embrace your agenda and I want to do what you're calling me to do. I want to begin today, Lord, to say that I surrender. And I choose today to walk in obedience to your word. Father God, as your spirit teaches me and enlightens me in the path that I should walk. If you're saying that this morning, go ahead and raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Raise your hand up high. Father God, I bless your name, Lord, this morning. And I thank you for these lies, Father God, that obviously their heart, Lord, is to serve you and to obey you, Father God. And as you show them in your word the path that they should walk, that they would have the grace and the strength, Father God, to walk down that path, Father God, that they would put aside any agenda or any, any controversy in their mind, any rationalization that lifts itself up against your word. We rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus, and we claim that your word become true in each and every one of these lives who has their hands raised, Father God, that you would give them the strength, Father God, that you would teach them your word, that you would surround them with teachers, 
that will continue to instruct them, Lord, in the way that they should go, Father God, and that nothing would keep them from everything that you have for them, Lord. And Father God, you promised that you're the one that started this work. And so we trust you to finish it, Lord. And I want to bless your name, Lord, for the pastors and the leadership that we have in this church, Father God, because they continue to plow forward, Lord, opening up a path for us to walk. And we thank you for their lives, and we ask you that you continue to give them grace, Father God, and strength to do the work that you have called them to do, Father God. Father God, and that we would align ourselves behind them, Lord, and push forward, Father God, reaching to families, reaching to husbands, to fathers, that they would come to know you, Father God, and that as they observe all lives, Father God, they would see you, that they would see a living sacrifice committed to your work, Father God. And Lord, that anything that would lift itself up against that, Lord, we rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we claim, Father God, every person, every family represented here this morning, Lord, for your kingdom, Father God. And we trust you again, Lord, that you're going to finish the work that you started. And we bless your name, Lord, in the name of Jesus.